God's deliverance. In some ways, it's very similar as well. To this week, we find ourselves in Psalm 94 fo- focusing on the vengeance or the righteous judgment or the repayment of sin on people's lives from God. God of vengeance here is the first line. And as we look at the God of vengeance, we need to be careful because we have to understand that this God of vengeance is not the vengeance that we experience as fallen mortal people who are susceptible to temptation. Our God is perfect in his wrath, perfect in his righteousness. And when we look at vengeance, we cannot think of tearing other people down because they've wronged us. We have to think of who our God is and the holiness of God that drives us to understand his righteous wrath, his righteous anger. So as we look at this passage, we need to be careful. We need to understand that this is the wrath of God. This is the vengeance of God. This is from the, the, the psalmist perspective, crying out to God. So with that perspective, let's go to Lord in prayer and ask for help tonight. Father, I pray that tonight we would be careful and we'd be guided by your Holy Spirit to look at this psalm carefully, to understand the goodness of God, but also the wrath and the righteous anger of God. Pray that you'd help us to weigh our sin, to understand the weight of our sin, and to know that the wrath of God is on sin, and that 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 fear of that wrath would also lead us to the assurance, lead us to the confidence, and remind us of the assurance we have in you as our Savior. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. We find ourselves in Psalm 94. Let's read through the passage together. Psalm 94. O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exalt? They pour out their arrogant words, all the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of people. Fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nation, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law to give him rest for the days of trouble until the pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage, for justice will return to righteous, to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who rise up who will who rise up for me against the wicked who stands up for me against the evil doer if the lord had not been my help my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence when i thought my foot slips your steadfast love o lord held me up when the cares of my heart are many your consolations cheer my soul can the wicked rulers be allied with you those who frame injustice by statute they band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death but the Lord has become my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out 
for their wickedness, the Lord our God will wipe them out. It's interesting, this psalm begins with a very forward request to cry to God. The first three verses give us a, a, a very strong declaration. O Lord, God of vengeance. We think of vengeance in today's culture. We think of someone taking out uh, a person with, with anger, with their words or with their actions. Someone retaliating, someone responding in anger. Sinful anger. O God of vengeance, shine forth, the, the psalmist says. He declares it. The psalmist here is in a, a situation where he's being surrounded. He's being attacked. The psalmist here is in a place where he needs help. And he sees the character of the people that are oppressing him. He sees the, the sin of the people that are oppressing him. And he's asking God to take righteous anger, wrath, to repay the sin. And he asked an age-old question here, the big question, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exalt? Or how long will the wicked prosper? It's an age-old question because it continues to happen. Even in today's society, we see people who cheat their way to the top, who steal people's money for their own gain. People who step on people to get to where they want socially. People who don't care about others, and yet they succeed. And we find that following the rules doesn't always pay off. And the, the reality of this world is that we are in a sin-cursed place, a place that is feeling the curse that is found in Genesis that happened after Adam and Eve sinned. Now sin came upon all man, and mankind was cursed, and the ground was cursed and now we are susceptible to the temptation, and temptation becomes a part of our lives. We battle it, and we have conflict with ourselves as believers. So this is the, the preface for the psalm, and it puts us in a place of, of crying out to God. And then the psalmist, in verses 4 through 7, goes into the actions, the works of these wicked people and he's just recounting this in his mind. And I think what he's doing here is he's, it's helping him process what's happening. We do that, right? We, we Sometimes when we are going through something, we have to tell somebody something. We, even if it's something we already know, we have to sit, just go to our friend and say, can you listen for a minute? I need to get this off my chest. I think as he's writing this, he's processing it. And as he's pouring it out to God, he's making, he's, Understanding this himself, and God under, knows this already, but he's rehearsing it in his mind so that he can really understand the goodness of God in this passage, in contrast with evil. He says in verse 4, They pour out their arrogant words, all the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord. They afflict. Look at these words. They boast, they crush, they afflict. In verse 6, they kill the widow and the sojourner. They murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. They're prideful, arrogant people. They're people that see themselves as the ruler of their life. They see themselves as the most important piece of life. And everything revolves around them. They crush and, they crush and afflict people because they want things. And they want to feel like the most important person with no regard for God. In fact, 
They kill and murder and they deny God. They say, the Lord does not see, the God of Jacob does not perceive. And this lie here that they believe feeds their actions. Because they believe that God does not see, because they believe they will not go unpunished, they act however they want to. And they live their lives as if God does not exist. This atheistic point of view is everywhere in our world today. A world that says that the best of life is right now and that we have to get pleasure and gain the good job. We have to have a house and we have to have everything because nothing else comes after this. And if there is a hell, it's just a party. And if there is an afterlife, it's something that nobody can prepare for. And there's no real answer to the eternal questions. And yet we have the answer. And yet we have a God who gives us the answers. And as the psalmist moves through this, as he's processing this information and his, his oppression, he, he, he cries out to these people. And it's interesting that he's not calling on them to to just go into judgment and to feel the wrath of God right away, what he does is he calls for them to understand. Look at verse 8 through 11. Understand, O dullest of people. He doesn't mince words. He's very direct. And he wants them to see the error of their ways. Fools, when will you be wise? And then he goes into this argument that's based on God being their creator. Verse 9 says, He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye does he not see. The idea that God is our creator shapes and forms the way we live our life. And as these people don't, they clearly don't believe that God exists. They clearly don't believe that God cares if they do believe that God exists. They come to a place where they're not even aware that their actions have consequences. And we understand that actions do have consequences. And what the, the psalmist here is pointing towards is the fact that if God made you, he knows you. Which we use that phrase in many different contexts. Oftentimes we use it in the context of, of love and grace. We say that God knows you and yet he loves you and the mercy of God is so great and that is true. Amen. But if you are not in Christ, God knows you. And that means that hell is in your future if you don't have Christ as your Savior. God knows you. He formed you. He is your creator. He made you. Verse 10 says, He who disciplines the nations, does, not, does he not rebuke? He is a teacher. He disciplines. As a father disciplines his child, he loves his child as he rebukes the nations. He cares for the nations. He wants them to see the error of their ways. You think of the Israelites. You think of the covenants that were made. You think of, of God being faithful. And yet any time that they would not be faithful on there and they would receive consequences. In fact, there were so grave consequences that people would die for the sake of people's sins. People would die for the sake of going to the land and reporting that they could not do it because the people were too great. And they were grasshoppers in their sight. People that, a whole generation of people that died in the wilderness because they didn't trust God. He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge. The Lord knows the thoughts of man. 
that they are but a breath. The psalmist here clearly understands that this is who he is, that God knows him, that his life is but a breath. He also knows that his enemies, who do not trust God, who do not know God, also know that their life is but a breath. And he transitions in verse 12 to 15 to giving them hope and offering them some kind of hope here. Verse 12 says, Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord. There is hope in discipline. There is hope in the fact that God works in people's lives in drastic ways. There is hope in the hand of wrath that God has. And it's something we don't often discuss when we want to maybe make friends. We don't talk about the wrath of God or the, the kindling of the wrath of God. But the reality is that people are, are dying, going to hell. And people need to know that this God is wrathful towards sin. It's a good place to, to pause here and understand that this wrath of God is not based on a faulty sense of righteousness. This is based on the holiness of God and God being faithful to his covenants and God being who he is. The simple fact is that these people have sinned. These people have fallen in the wrath of God. And they are in need of discipline. It would be easier for God to wipe them out. It would be easier for God to simply get rid of them or start over. How many times in the Old Testament did God say to Moses, I will wipe these people out and start over. And then he intercedes for the people and he says, these people are your people. And how, will the, how else will the nations know that you are great if you've taken these people into the wilderness to kill them? And the name of the Lord is exalted in those passages. And God is exalted when his children are disciplined and the people are disciplined for their sin because his holiness is true. His holiness is who he is. O Lord, in whom you teach out of your law, to give him rest and avoid, give him rest from the days of trouble. See, verse 12 kind of has a purpose here. The first half of the verse is the purpose here. Blessed is the man whom you discipline. The purpose of this is so that you might have rest in the days of trouble. So that you might work through that sin. You confess your sin. You become right before God. And that you are right before your creator. And all this is until the pit is dug for the wicked. There's no promise of a certain day when this will happen. There's no guarantee of it's going to happen next week. Just hold on for a week. He doesn't give a day. Because we don't know. The truth is that people who are sinners, people who don't care about God, will succeed in this life. They'll be successful. And sometimes they're going to have things that we want. And we have to be okay with the fact that vengeance, discipline, and the wrath of God is only of God. And that he is the only one qualified to give this wrath. There's also hope here for those who are his people. Look at verse 14 and 15. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous and all the upright in heart will follow it. Very strong language. He will not forsake. He will not abandon. He will not. 
On the day of judgment, when you are before heaven and you are asked the question, why should I let you into heaven? You cannot claim your false hope of, well, I was the highest man on the totem pole at my job and I made the most money and I had all these titles and I was a doctorate of this certain degree and I had everything I wanted in this life and I had mansions and I had cars and all those things betray you because the only thing that matters is your identification in Christ. Those things will betray you. They will forsake you. They will abandon you and leave you hopeless. But God will not abandon you. If you're a child of God, you are co-heirs with Christ. And you have an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, waiting in heaven for you. And you have a future that is bright and glorious. And there's no reason to fear, even though you may be going through this oppression Even though they crush you, they afflict you, they kill you, they murder you. Even though they boast, even though they seem to be having it all together and we have it scattered. Even though life doesn't seem to make sense. We have the reality that sin will be punished. And God's justice cannot be thwarted. And that we have an eternal hope in Christ. And now these last section of verses, verses 16 to 23, bring us to even more hope for the believer as he's processing this wrath that is to come. We find a refuge for the righteous here. Verse 16 to 23, Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? It's the question here. Who is going to protect me? Who will defend me? Who is it? It is the Lord. And then there's a series of three conditional statements here. If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. And when I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. And when the cares of my heart are many, your consolation, your tender care for me, Cheer my soul. The promise here is that God will be with us. That God is present. His steadfast love is holding you. It is there. And as the people around you are the the hands and feet of Jesus, as, as they care for you, as the body of Christ should be caring for you, you feel the presence of the Lord. You feel the working of his church manifest in today's age as people are doing the will of God as we love one another, as we care for one another. And then he asked another question in verse 20. Can the wicked rulers be allied with you, those who frame injustice by statute? And the answer, of course, is absolutely not. The wicked here, the unruly, the ones who frame injustice by statute, These people are the opposite of who God is. God is not with these people. It is impossible because they are contrary to his nature and God cannot have sin in his sight. They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. This psalm is very grounded in personal experience. This psalm brings to light the consequences of living for Christ. This psalm brings us to a place where we understand just how heavy and how serious this is. 
Verse 21, they've banded together against the life of the righteous, not just the comfort, but the life. They want your life. It's serious. They condemn the innocent to death. They have a a messed up view of what is right and wrong, and because of that, they have gone after the righteous. It's just as us as believers, they come after Christ, and therefore they come after us. Because they don't want to be confronted with the fact that they are sinners bound for hell. And we need to understand that it is serious and it might cost us our lives. The Gospels tell us we should be willing to lay down our lives and take up our cross to follow Jesus. That's a serious, heavy burden. And yet, it is joyful Because we know that that cost is nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory. The promise of an eternity with Christ. And we understand that the promises of God are still faithful, are still good. And that we can live in this stronghold, this refuge. The final verses, the benediction, the the statement of confidence in verse 22 and 23. As the psalmist has worked through his cry for vengeance. And he's described the works of these unrighteous people. He's called out to these people and and, and showed them that you need to to know your creator. He knows you. And he's called upon them to look at this refuge that they can have. Also reminding the believers of the refuge that we have. And this concentrated section of, of, of verses here gives us a glimpse into just his statement of confidence in who God is. This is who he is. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. And the Lord, our God, will wipe them out. Notice who is receiving what. The Lord has become my stronghold and my God and the rock of my refuge, and yet the ones who are wicked, the ones who do not know God, verse 23, he will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. The wickedness that is on them is only on them because they do not have Christ. And once we have Christ, we have exchanged robes and we are now clean and we are now bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. And when we stand before God and we are told to, we are asked to claim how we, should be go, how we should be getting to heaven, we can claim the blood of Christ. We understand that our confidence is not in our perfection or being able to get life right because we can't. But our refuge is in God. Our refuge is in knowing that he removed the wickedness, that he is working in us Upon salvation, he begins to sanctify us, to to bring us to a place where we will be glorified eventually and we will become like him and glorify him for all of eternity. So as believers, we have hope. Even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of whatever life may throw at us, we have hope. So just as in Psalm 93, we see the might of God, we see the glory and the power of God, Today we see the might and the power and glory of God work in a couple different ways. We see him work in vengeance and righteous anger against the wicked. 
and we see him working as a refuge for us. And we can rejoice in who our God is. And we should also be motivated to go to those people and show them that they are made by God, that God knows them, that they need a Savior. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this evening. I thank you for the, the truths found in Psalm 94. I thank you for your righteous anger and your mercy and your grace and how you are perfect in both. I pray that you would help us to be motivated to share the gospel, knowing that those who do not receive Christ as their Savior are in danger of hellfire. I pray that you give us a good week in your son's name. Amen.